Testing, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, we're good. No, on Skype. This is for Skype, yeah. All right, let's, let's begin in prayer this morning. Father, good morning, and we thank you for all your good gifts and everything you give is good. We thank you, Father, for the word of God, your word. We thank you for you as the word who became flesh. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the character and nature of you and your son and the spirit. Thank you that you're righteous, just, and loving. We thank you, Father, that you're all-powerful, as is your son, as is the spirit, and all-knowing, too. Father, we ask today the Holy Spirit would be moving in our hearts to help us to focus and concentrate and to understand the meaning of what's in your word today and then to bring it back to our remembrance and motivate us to apply it. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Good morning again, everybody. Um, I have an announcement, actually three announcements for people on Skype. Um, the first one is, is that if you're on a phone, you need to have it on horizontal because otherwise I believe that the print's going to be too big. So in other words, am I showing them? They can't see me. <laughs> so if, if, most of the time when you're talking, it's on, it's vertical. So you don't switch it to horizontal, all right? Like you're looking at a picture or like landscape mode, if you know that, that way the print won't be too big. Also, you really, really need to turn your camera off. The reason is, is that if your camera is on, it will be shown up in Skype, and that'll interfere with the people. Um, people seeing you rather than seeing the slides. So we would ask that you would do that, and also to mute your microphone for the same reason. Anything you say will be on, so and we don't want that, all right? So that Thursday night is the night for us to have dialogue, but this morning, please, please turn off your microphone, turn off your video, okay? All right, let's begin, and uh, this morning, let's turn to John chapter 6. Starting in verse 1, John chapter 6, verse 1. Title of this morning's message, Five Barley Loaves and Two Fish. Five Barley Loaves and Two Fish. Because that's the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And that's what this passage is about this morning. But but it's about so much more than that. And that's what we're going to see together. So again, John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And we read. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes, And seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. 
Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them to receive just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those Likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets from fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. So we're now in chapter six. And the first thing I want you to see is that chapter 6 follows the same sequence that chapter 5 did. If you remember in chapter 5, the first part of chapter 5 was the miracle of Jesus healing the lame man. And that went on for a period of time, and then he started teaching. And his teaching was controversial, and he was, he was directing it to the Pharisees and the leaders of the religious establishment. So you had miracle teaching. We have the same thing here in chapter 6. Today, we're going to focus on the miracle. By the way, in chapter six, there are two miracles, which we'll also see in just next week. But the other miracle is going to be when Jesus So you have two miracles, but then you have another round of controversial teaching. This time, um, he's going to talk about who he is. And this time, he's in Galilee. Remember, in chapter five, he was in, in uh, Jerusalem. Chapter six, He's in Galilee. Okay. Speaking of chapter 5, when we last saw Jesus, he was in Jerusalem confronting the Jewish religious establishment with the facts about, as we begin chapter 6, Jesus is in Galilee. Now notice in chapter 6, verse 1, we have that same expression that we saw at the beginning of chapter 5, and that is, after these things. And that expression, remember, it's metatauta in the Greek, is used to mark an unspecified amount of time that passes between the verse before, and that would be John 5, 47, and this verse. So even though it's the very next verse, I want to pick you a picture that there's this big space between the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, where you can insert material from the other three Gospels, because they record things that happened in that space between John 5, 47 and John 6, 1. Now we see some of that because notice notice where he is in verse 1. Now remember, we just left chapter 5. He was in Jerusalem. When we get to chapter 6, verse 1, he says what? After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That meant that he was on one side of the Sea of Galilee and he's going to the other. In other words, he's no longer in Jerusalem. But we don't have any recording, uh, recorded information in John that explains how he got from Jerusalem to Galilee. On the other hand, if you look at verse 2, we notice one other thing, which is the large crowd, okay, that they had already been formed for some reason, and we find the reason, because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Now, these are people in Galilee, and what that tells us is Jesus had been in the region of Galilee for a while, performing many, many healings. 
on those who were sick. And we don't see that in the Gospel of John, but we do see it in the other in the other Gospels, Mark, Luke, um, and, and, and Matthew. Okay. So, again, that expression after these things is used in this case to allow room for other events not recorded in John that are recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And again, from verse 2, we see that Jesus performed many healing miracles in Galilee. And by the way, they were public events. I don't know if you remember, but um, the first three miracles were more or less private events, the ones that John records. All right. Now, you might say the wedding feast at Cana, that certainly in itself was a public event. But if you remember, the miracle that occurred was only known to a few people. Right? And, and, and that was the same thing that we saw at the end of chapter four, when Jesus healed the um, official son. Right. He, he did that in private. Remember, he went away to that location. No, he didn't. He didn't go to that location so that that would be a private situation that only the family saw the fact that he had been. He had been uh, cured, healed. Now, the same thing at the beginning of chapter five, although that's more public. Remember, in Jerusalem, it was more public because there were people around here. The miracles and the healings that he's done are very public. And the reason we know that is because it resulted in a large crowd that followed him because they saw those signs. Now, these events, they're public events, not recorded in John, but they are recorded in Mark and Luke and also in Matthew. In particular, all right, if you were to look, we're not going to do that because in the interest of time, but if you were to go to Mark chapter 1, you can do this later. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 23 to 34, talks about miracles of healing that Jesus performed in Galilee during this period of time. That in between John 5, 47 and John 6, 1, there are recorded miracles of healing in Mark chapter 1, verses 23 to 34. Luke and that was in two places, chapter 7, verses 1 to 17, and chapter 8, verse 26 to 56. That's in Luke. Again, a whole series of recorded healings, miraculous healings that are in Mark, Luke, and Matthew, but they're not, John doesn't mention them. And that's why after these things has to be there. Now, speaking of the other gospels, you can look at this if you. I don't know if any of you have um, harmony of the. Anyway, you don't don't worry about that. But this is a book that shows you how the four gospels are put together and in how they relate to one another, verse by verse. And if you you were to look at that, you would find that all the events in Luke from chapter six, verse one, and verse nine occur in this gap between John five forty seven and John six one. Luke is the best to use when you're talking about chronology. Because he was very particular about that historian, and he was accurate. He went back and found all the information, and he put it together in consecutive order. So he's the one to go to, and you want to look at the order of how things went. Okay. So we looked at time, and now I'd like to look at geography. Where did these events occur in Chapter 6? Well, this map shows you the Sea of Galilee. Right? We've already seen a reference to that. In chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Now, I want to show you a little bit more detail about this. Actually, you know, Mark, that brings up an interesting point. If I hit this uh, pen and laser pointer, will they see that on there? They won't see it? Oh, uh, it's on your computer? Yeah. It's on your computer, yeah. I'm going to try it. All right. So, 
if you see here, is it working? It's not working. That's okay. Laser pointer. There we go. Hey, hey, hey. All right. All right. So just a little orientation. All right. This is Capernaum right here. As you can see, it, here's the Jordan River. All right. Jordan River runs right through the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you go to the left, and this is considered the, the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee. That's where Capernaum is. Now, that's significant because that was Jesus' home base whenever he was in Galilee. Uh, he went all, all around, but he was staying for the, for the most part here. And it's probable that this is where the event started. In other words, the miracles were in and around here. And then and Jesus, as we're going to see, took a boat with his disciples over to around here. We'll see that in the passage, and actually the comparison passages in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And this, of course, is just on the other side, okay, of the Jordan River, still on the coastline of the Sea of Galilee, but more in the northeast now. You can see that. By the way, we'll see the mountainous region, and we're going to talk about that. That shows up, um, so, be, so stay tuned for that. But I wanted you to give you a little orientation to where these events occurred. All right. All four Gospels, okay, um, record this miracle of feeding 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes. Oh, I want to go back to the map, because if you look at the passage um, in verse 1, in John, you're still in John 6, everybody, right? Okay. If you look at verse 1, notice what, how it's worded. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, you might say, well, what's the other side? Right? There's two sides. There's the west and the east. Well, what you, what you need to understand is that this was from the perspective of the Jews. Now, the Jewish people lived over over here, okay, region over here. So anytime they talk about reckoning directions, they would talk about it from here. And so from then, this was the the east uh, east side, right? Was the other side, okay? Details, but So again, all four gospels. This tells you the importance of this miracle because all four gospels. Record this miracle of feeding 5,000 men. And they, buy, they all talk about 5,000 men. They all talk about five loaves and two All four Gospels. It's recorded in also besides here in John chapter 6. We'll also find it in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 20. Mark 6, verses 30 to 43. And Luke 9, verses 10 through 17. I'll give you a moment if you want to write those down. Because to really get the most out of it, um, at some point, you're going to want to read and prepare. I did that this morning, so I'm going to give you the highlights of that. We're going to go to um, the, the Synoptic Gospels to see a little bit about what they say, particularly where they add details that help us to understand what we're seeing in John chapter 6. So again, also recorded this miracle, five loaves and two fishes feeding 5,000 men. In Matthew 14, 13 to 20, Mark 6 through 17. 
Each of these four places, in addition to much of it being the same, also uh, records unique information, distinctive. Every one of them ha- adds some distinctive details that will round out the accounts of the others. This is particularly true between John and Mark. John says things that aren't in Mark that helps you understand what's, what Mark records about the miracle and vice versa. Mark records details that help us understand and round out what we understand to be a miracle as it's written in, in John. So they complement each other. All right, for example, we just I just showed you the map. We know from Mark and Luke, but not from John, that the miracle took place at a desolate place, all right, and yet it was near the city of Bethsaida. We don't get those details in John, right? We get them in Mark and Luke. All right, so again, the miracle, the miracle took place in a desolate place, not populated, but it was near the city of Bethsaida. And we learned that from Mark 6.35 and Luke 9.10. Mark 6.35 and Luke 9.10. All right, one more map. So now you can see with all that information, we'll do this one more time. Here we go. This is the Jewish side, right, the Sea of Galilee. Still the case today, although, no, that's not true, because there was this war in 1967 where the Jews took over this side. Let's do a little bit more about that. But anyway, Beth, here's Beth's side. And notice on the other side of the Jordan River, on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And then if you go a little way south, this is the more desolate area right here, near the city of Bethsaida, but in a desolate place. That's where we believe the miracle of feeding the 5,000 occurred. So that's a little orientation in terms of the time, in terms of what's in the other Gospels that's not in John, and also the geography. The geography. Okay, let's go. Well, you're still in John. Okay, good. Let's continue. John chapter 6, starting now in verse 2. A large crowd. I'm going to show you on the map again. There's miracles. Large crowd. Now they want to follow him, not because they want to learn his teaching or not because they believe he's the Messiah, but because they love to look at miracles. We've seen that before. We saw that in chapter two with the Jews in Jerusalem. Now we're in Galilee, but you have the same human nature. Okay. So again, verse two, a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And then in verse three, then Jesus went up to the mountain, on the mountain. And there he sat down with his disciples. Now, you might want to wonder, well, why? You know, all we see here is that, you know, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And then there's a large crowd following him. And then, but then he goes up on the mountain and he sits down there with, with his disciples. Now, again, the crowds were following Jesus because of the signs that he was performing. Right? Again, not because of who they believed who he is. And that's important, too. We're going to see the issue of faith come up right now, not only with the crowds, but also this time with the disciples. We're going to see, in fact, two of them in particular come on the scene, and Jesus is going to test them, one in particular. And we're going to see what that little bit more about what that test is all about. All right. The reason why Jesus went up on the mountain and brought his disciples with him was because the disciples were exhausted. Jesus and the disciples were exhausted and they needed to rest. And the reason why is because they had just returned from a whole program where they went out in all the villages 
and they preached the gospel and they healed the sick. You see, the, the disciples were also given by Jesus the ability to heal the sick at that time. Okay, so you don't again, you don't get that from John, but you do get it from the others, from Matthew, Mark and Luke. They talk about the fact that this when occurred, that Jesus sent out the disciples into the villages and they were healing the sick and preaching. So that's why they needed to rest. That's why they went up on the mountain and they sat down. However, they couldn't get away from the crowd. The crowd pursued them. And it turns out that Jesus, rather than being upset with the crowd, right, that, that's what many of us would say. Listen, I've been doing everything for you guys for the last, I don't know, year. No, probably not that long. Last six months. And now here you are. And you won't even give me a moment's peace. Right. But that's not Jesus. Right. He immediately had compassion on those people. And he did it again. He taught them and healed their sick. And again, we don't see this here, but I want you to put that in there because that's what the other Gospels tell us. And it rounds out what John is talking about. For example, I'd like you to turn now to Luke chapter 9, verse 10. Luke, go back to Luke chapter 9, verse 10. This, by the way, is the very beginning of Luke's account of the miracle of the 5,000, feeding the 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. I don't know if you remember, but uh, the passage in Luke starts in verse 10 and ends in verse 17. So this is right at the beginning. So that tells us that this, this is what happened right before Jesus performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000. Let's take a look at what happened. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. When the apostles returned, now if you were to read more of Luke 9, again, that's the time when they went out to the villages and preached and healed people. They returned and they gave an account to Jesus of all that they had done. Now, here we here it goes. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. You see, it's from Luke that we, we know that the, the miracle performed near the city of Bethsaida because that's where he went to rest with the disciples. But again, look at verse 11. But the crowds were aware of this, and they followed him. And welcoming them, he welcomed them. And he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. This happens right before John picks up his account when he talks about Jesus going to the other side of the mountain, of the, of the lake, and so forth. All right, back to John chapter 6, verse 3. John 6, 3, as we continue. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. The word mountain there um, really refers to the hill country, the higher ground. That's really what it's talking about. It's translated the mountain here, but that Greek word really means the high ground, the hill country. Here's a picture of it. You can see here that uh, this is a picture. Okay, this is the this is the western side of the Sea of Galilee, right? and they're looking across, and this is what they see. Notice that they see what right away a hilly region, right, very near the coast. Right, that's what that's what when he says the mountain, that's what he's talking about. The hill region on the east side. Uh, and by the way, this region will extend 
much farther north than the Sea of Galilee. By the way, today, you know what that area is known as? Anybody know? That area is just east of the Sea of Galilee. Israel fought a war and they took it over. They still hold this high ground today. Well, I'll tell you. It's called the Golan Heights, if you've heard of that expression. That's the hill, hill area. Okay, the, the, the high ground that is being referred to here. So Jesus went up here with his disciples on the, on the high ground, and yet the crowd saw him go up, and they, they, they pursued him as he was up there with his disciples. All right, John chapter 6, verse 4. John 6, verse 4. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Now, a lot of times people read this verse, and they say correctly that, well, here, we, here look at this. Now we have a recorded time. We know that this occurred near the Passover. And if you remember, there was an earlier Passover. The last time we saw a Passover, it was in chapter 2. And Jesus was went there. And that's where he performed his healings. And that's where he also had the meeting with um, Nicodemus. That was all during the Passover, too. So this is the second Passover that is recorded by John during the public ministry of Jesus Christ. So... From that, by the way, we know that his ministry lasted about three years because there's another one that he records later on. There are three, in fact. There are three Passover feasts that are recorded by John in the public ministry of Jesus. They are in John 2, 13. Okay? That's when we already saw. All right, That's when he went into the temple and he, and he tossed over the tables and he got the animals out. That was, that was Passover in the temple. John 2, 13. Our day, and then in chapter 11, right, in chapter 11, verse 15, it's all Passover again. So there's three of them. And there's a deeper meaning, though, here, besides just marking time, all right? And that is, you have to think about what the Passover feast represented, all right? Now, if they were looking at it back then, they would have said, well, it represents us being rescued out of Egypt and taken into freedom and the promised land. And that's all true. But now we know. All right, on the understanding of the fact that Jesus died on the Passover. And that's what that last, this is what the John eleven fifty five. 55, that's, that's recording the week that he dies. Okay. So if you think about it, all right, so the Passover feast, in terms of the story of the Lord Jesus Christ, is pointing forward to his death and his resurrection. And again, he would die on the cross during the Passover, the third one that John records. But it's interesting, if you look at the first two, you also see indications of him referring to his death in the future. Now, they probably didn't pick up on this, but not the disciples, by the way, didn't pick up on this either. But they, it was after Jesus rose from the dead. When they, once they saw him die and rise, then they remembered. Oh, he said three years earlier. Look at John chapter 2, verse 19. John chapter 2, verse 19. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Go back to John 2, starting in verse 19. We're going to see what he said, and now foreshadowed is on the cross. John 2, 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it took 
46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? He was speaking of the temple of his body. We see again and again that people look at the, the literal material um, aspect of what he's saying. Like, like when the woman at the well was talking about this living water and she thought it would just be water that would but quench her thirst and she wouldn't have to bring the bucket down and up again. Remember that? Um, we see, we're gonna see, we'll see the same thing of sorts in chapter six with Philip. He thinks that this is all about just getting food when there's a deeper meaning, which we'll see in just a moment. This is happening again and again. And again, Nicodemus, the same thing. Nicodemus said, Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you'll be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Immediately, what does Nicodemus think about? Does he think about spiritual rebirth? Not at all. He say, wait a minute, I got to go back in my mother's womb to get into the kingdom. That's a crazy way to go, you know. So people can, can over and over again miss the spiritual meaning of what Jesus is saying. And they always pin themselves to the physical. Disciples did this about food several times. They did it actually in chapter 4 when, when they came back. Remember they came back from the city of Sychar and Jesus was with the woman at the well. And then they, they, they didn't say anything about the woman. And then, they, and then they said, you must be starving. You know, have you? Has anyone, and he says, listen, I have food that you don't know. And they were saying, yeah, wonder who gave him the food. You know, when he was talking about doing the will of his father, a spiritual food. So in any event, this happens again and again and again in the Gospel of John. So in John chapter 2, verse 19 to 21, notice verse 19, he says, destroy this temple. And I will, and in three days, I will raise it up. He's talking about his death and his resurrection. He's talking about the temple of his body. And it would be destroyed on the cross, and then he would raise it up on the on the third day. So again, in, we already know in chapter eleven that's directly leading to the cross when it's the Passover. Here we see in chapter two, the pastor, he also brings the subject of his death, and then also please go forward to John chapter six verse fifty one. I want you to see what what he says in this second Passover. Where we are now in chapter, in chapter 6. Look at John chapter 6, verse 51. This is what he says. He's talking about bread, right? He took the barley loaves and he fed the 5,000. All right. And of course, that was a big miracle. And it's interesting. Even at that, the people mostly were still focused on eating, <laughs> They were really excited. Yeah, they loved the miracle, but they were really excited about the fact, man, wasn't that a great meal? You know, and so Jesus had to really, really, you know, sit them down and tell them this. This is what this this is really all about. And that's what he's saying in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also, which I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. This, by the way, is very reminiscent of chapter four with the with the woman at the well, right? There it was living water. Now here it is, the bread that comes down from heaven, the living bread. All right. So, so he has to mention the fact that listen, the bread I am going to I'm going to give up this bread for the life of the world. What's he talking about? His flesh dying on the cross again. This is another reference to his death on the cross. When they heard, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven as a Jew. Uh, anyone who's familiar with the book of Exodus, 
would understand or, or, or Deuteronomy or Numbers would understand that, wait a minute, in our history, there was a time when bread came out of heaven. Only then it was it was physical bread. When they were in the desert, it was called man. Jesus is saying what is greater than the manna that Moses gave you in the desert. Okay, so now, now we reach a point in chapter 6 where it is time for something. Jesus already challenged the Pharisees and the leaders. In this chapter, he challenges his own disciples. Who do they believe Jesus is? And that's always the question in the Gospel of John. Who is Jesus? Now it's time for him to challenge his own disciples regarding that question. Who do they believe? And I want to emphasize the word believe right now. Who do you believe? I, I know what you've said. But now I'm going to give you a test to find out if you really believe what I, what you've said about me and what I've said about me. I right, see some, sometimes um, what comes to the surface when we're actually called to act in obedience is the fact that we're deficient in our faith. Right, Jesus would talk about oh, ye of little faith. And that came out when he asked them to basically trust him and do something. Right. That's true for us, too, you know. We can, we can say we believe these things, but it's really not obvious. It's really not clear. It's really not solid until we act on it. Now, works are not for salvation, but we do know that God has prepared works for us. that We got to walk in. And oftentimes that walk requires faith in order to do that. Okay? So it's no different for us. All right. So who do they believe Jesus is? Now, what's he, what he's going to do in chapter six? is he's going to get them to accept who he is by showing them clearly that their own resources, who they are, totally inadequate to the task that he's calling them to perform. And that's another thing that we can apply to our own Christian walk. Right? Don't be intimidated if you, if you think, you know what, the Lord is calling me to do this, calling me to go here, calling me to give this. I, I'm inadequate. I, I can't possibly do this, right? Well, Jesus puts us there intentionally. Why? So that we'll rely on him instead. Like Paul in 2 Corinthians said, I was close to death. I was despairing. And then he learned something, right? And we learned that when I'm weak, the Lord is strong. And I learned that what he did for me and how he dealt with my suffering allowed me to be a better person who can now comfort other people. All right. So we see this a lot. We see this in the Old testament we see where again in that desert experience right he had to put them there where they had no wall in order for them to rely to rely on the lord he had to put them where they had nothing to eat in order that they had to rely on the on the lord before that when they left egypt and they were trying to head to the promised land and they came up to the red sea and behind them it was the army the egyptian army was pressing on they had nowhere to go what did that mean they had to rely on the lord you see, sometimes we have to be put in the situation where we have no other choice but to rely on the Lord before we'll actually act according to faith, to trust him. Okay. We saw that, by the way, last Thursday in Bible study with Isaiah, talking about how King Hezekiah had tried to make a deal to placate the Assyrian army. Here, I'll give you all the silver. I'll give you all the gold. Here are all my resources. And it didn't work, right? They, they just took, they took the 
money and they were going to destroy. The Jews in Jerusalem had no other option but to trust in the Lord. He'll do that for the very purpose of training us to trust him. All right. Same thing is going on, with, as we'll see, with the disciples. Why? Because here they are. Picture it. All right. They just came, they just came down from a the mountain. They're, they're here in a desolate area. All right. There, there's nowhere around there that's real accessible to get food. All right. It's kind of like if you were if you were in the Everglades and somebody said, hey, we're going to bring 5000 people down here right now. We're going to need to fit. We're going to need to feed them in five minutes. <laughs> you have no food. They have a little food. You have a little boy snack. But other than that. So that's what it was like for them. They really needed to rely on the Lord. They were absolutely incapable of just meeting the physical needs of the people. They're going to be called to meet the spiritual needs. And if they don't learn to rely on the Lord for the physical needs, how are they possibly going to rely on him for the spiritual needs? This is the crux of the test that we're going to see with Philip in just a moment. This is that's where he's teaching, but no longer with words. Right. He's teaching with actions. He's teaching with calling them, with uh, commanding them, really, or at least asking them. All right. And that's a very powerful test that we all have to go through from time to time. So now what are they going to do? I mean, he's asking them something that's impossible. Right. Isn't it? If you had if you if you're sitting there and you're on the ground and there's five thousand people. And they're hungry and you got to feed them. And all you have are five loaves of, of barley and two fish. That's impossible. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, you know what the, it, well, you know what the disciples were going to do, by the way? We get this from the other Gospels. They were telling Jesus, send them home. <laughs> we ain't, we're not going to feed them. Let them go to the cities and buy their own dinner. Right? That's, what the, that's the human solution. Right. But of course, Jesus was not planning to do that. No, they're going to have to learn to draw from the unlimited resources of Christ. And so do we. When we're put in impossible situations, we have to learn to rely on the unlimited resources. And remember, he has unlimited resources. Right. If 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 anyone is in Christ, we have access to all. All the resources that Jesus provides, and that's everything, especially the spiritual ones, you know, the ability to endure, the ability to trust and all of those things to know that the Lord loves you and all things are working together for the good. We have to learn to rely on him. He has unlimited resources. Without him, they can do nothing. All right, let's go forward now. John chapter six, go back to John chapter six, verse five. John chapter 6, verse 5. Let's continue what's happening here. What does Jesus do at this point? Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Now, you know, if you had a boss, let's say you were having a conference out there in the Everglades and nobody bothered to bring any food. And here are all the people and you got to feed them now. And Jesus turns to him and says, what are we going to do? Not Jesus anymore. Your boss turns to you and says, all right, it's on you. What are we going to do? And you're in the Everglades. 
and asked them in this, fa- in this fashion, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Now, remember, he's in a desolate area. All right. There's nowhere where he can buy bread. So you might ask, why did Jesus even ask that question? I mean, he had to have known the answer. He knew he was putting Philip on the spot. Well, we find out why in verse six. This he was saying to test him, to test him. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. Right. And that's the lesson. Now, maybe that was a lesson there if we were ever in that situation. Right. Maybe the Lord or maybe just the boss would be trying to teach us something in that lesson, too, because he would already know that he had something. He wanted Jesus wanted him to understand that with you, it's impossible. But with me, all things are possible. Verse seven. Well, Philip gave him an answer. But I want you to notice, first of all, what was the question in verse six? What? Yeah. Where? What is first word? Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? What was Philip's answer? Let's see in verse seven. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Did that, is that the question Jesus asked? No. He said what? Where? Where are you going to go? All right. That was the question. And he went back and only thought about the, 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 the economic and shopping part of this, right? And that's not the answer at all. He said, well, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. And then we have Andrew now comes into the picture. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, said to the Lord, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Well, what are these? For so many, and essentially, Philip and, and Andrew give the same answer, right? Two hundred denarii, not sufficient. Five barley loaves and two fish. What are these for so many people? See, they're just bemoaning the fact that they're falling short badly on their own resources. Jesus, on the other hand, he looks up, and what he's seeing are sheep without a shepherd, and he knows he's a shepherd, and he knows that he is. He knows what he's going to do already. But this is really reminiscent, too, of chapter four. And remember what once Jesus had had convinced the woman at the well that he was the Messiah and she had gone back into this town of Sychar and told the men and they had come rushing down to see him. Remember, he had the same thing. He was looking up and he saw all those men coming down the mountain. It wasn't really a mountain, but same thing here. He sees all of these people coming down. And then he asks Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Now, you have to ask the question, why did Jesus ask Philip this question? Why did he ask him this question? He said, listen, Philip, where are we to go so that these may eat? Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Why did Jesus ask Philip this question? Well, on one level, if he was going to ask anybody, all right, it would have been Philip. And the reason is, is that he was from Bethsaida, all right? And that's, that we saw that in John chapter 1. You don't have to worry about that. But he was from Bethsaida. So, you know, if you were thinking naturally, you know, the other, the other apostles were saying, yeah, Philip, you're from around here. Where should we go? All right. But that's missing the whole point. And that, that is not why Jesus asked Philip this question. We know that because in verse 6, he says, this is a test. Jesus said this to test Philip. But that brings up another question. Well, what was the test? You know, what was the test? And that, the, the answer to that question 
is first, this is the test that Jesus administers the disciples over and over again. This was the same test that they all failed in chapter four when they thought Jesus was talking about physical food rather than spiritual food. They flunked the test. This was a test to find out also what, if anything, Philip learned from the miracle at Canaan. So you have to you have to remember some things. You have to remember where they've already been and what they've already seen Jesus do. They've already been in a situation that was impossible. The wine is running out, and then they come up with the wine, and his mother went to him and put the pressure on him. Here it's, we have no food. You see, it's very parallel. And what did Jesus do? He performed a miracle, right? So that, and it was an abundant provision, wasn't it? It was the best wine for last. They'd already seen him do that. But did, the, but did Philip learn that lesson? And the answer is no, he didn't learn that lesson. By the way, it's the same test that Philip would fail again. And this would be on the night before Jesus went to the cross. Please turn to John chapter 4, 14, verse 9. John 14, verse 9. Another Passover. Three Passovers. We saw that. And they didn't learn the lesson in any of them. And those were all pointing to the death of Jesus Christ. And yet it wasn't until after Jesus died and rose that any of them started to pass the test. Even Thomas, of course, even after he rose from the dead, failed the test. So what's the test? Look at John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus said to Philip, Have I been so long with you, and yet, notice, you have not come to know me, Philip. That's the test. Have you come to know him? Because if you do, and you believe that, then you will trust him in any situation at all. By the way, you know what the crazy thing is? Is that, you know what happened? Philip gave the correct answer all the way back in chapter 1. Now, he said the right answer. When you say something, it doesn't necessarily mean that you understand it, you believe it, and you're ready to act on it, right? You can say it, but that that there's more to the story there, all right? Please go back to John chapter 1, verse 44. That's why when it comes to people, and Christians even, you can't just say, well, they said this, they must believe it, right? They said that, you know, I believe in Jesus, so that must be true. Now, hopefully it is true. But, it, but what people say, right, and what they understand and what, they, what, they, what they've done in their hearts to believe and trust, two different things. Two different things. Notice what, what Philip said in John chapter 1, verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Who did Moses in the law and the prophets write about? The king, the Messiah, the son of God. In Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7, right, where he says, this is mighty God, prince of peace. He said, we found him. Jesus of Nazareth is the one that Moses in the law and the prophets wrote about. So, So Philip had the right answer. He said the right answer 
all the way back in chapter one. It's just that he didn't apply it. He didn't wasn't ready to act on it. He had little faith. Didn't mean he had any, but he had little faith. We see this, of course, in just about everybody who was part of the inner circle of Jesus. His own mother, his own mother missed it when she had an opportunity. So we see this with Peter. We see this with everybody, right? There's nobody, maybe with the possible exception of the writer of this gospel. I'm not sure. Well, no, we have, we have he made mistakes too. So none of them did. None of them actually applied the test. So what was the problem? Well, it's the same problem that Peter had when Jesus invited him to walk on the water. Now, let me ask you a question. If I took you out in a boat to a place where it was 200 feet, and I said, here's what I want you to do, right? You see that lighthouse about 500 yards away? Go walk to that right now. How many of you would take me up? No, isn't that an impossible situation? It is, unless you recognize who's asking you. That's the same test, right? Please look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. You see, I don't have unlimited resources. I'll have the power to keep you afloat if you're, if you're walking on water. It's 200 feet down, right? Jesus does. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to read the whole story, but I think this is another one many of you know about, right? That, By the way, this happened right, Matthew records this as the John happening right after the miracle of the 5,000 being fed. So it's fresh in Peter's mind that, that Jesus has just taken five barley loaves and two fish and had enough power to, to turn that, do enough food to feed 5,000 people. But did he learn the lesson? No, he didn't. You see, when he started out, he started out okay, and then he sunk. And Jesus immediately stretched out his hand. Look at verse 31, Matthew 1. He immediately stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, here's the problem. You of little faith, why did you doubt? It's not as if he never believed him. I'm sure he, at the point at which he saw this miracle... He realized again, as he already understood, that this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. But he didn't apply that when it came to it in his own situation. He still wasn't able to translate from that what he's seen and believed, or knew anyway, in, in, when he's in a situation where he needs to rely on that. All right. It was a test, in other words, of Philip's faith, of his faith. And what he's really asking, he may say, walk on water. He may say, where are we going to feed 5,000? But this is the real test. This is the real question. And again, this is something that all of us can can and will be tested on, right? It's very doubtful. In fact, I don't think it's going to happen. Jesus is going to come out of heaven and tell us to feed 5,000 people. But there will be situations where the only way... To, to get through and do what the Lord is asking us to do is to believe that he is who he says he is. You see, that's the test. Do you believe I am who I say I am? That's the test. Do you believe that I am who I say I am? Don't feel bad. John the Baptist failed this test. He was in the, he, When he was in prison, he sent out 
his associates and he said, hey, go ask, is this the one or should we look for another one? He failed the test too, so don't feel bad. Peter failed it several times, most most uh, egregiously on the night before Jesus died when he denied him three times. Okay. It's a question we all have to answer. Speaking of questions, though, I want you to look at John chapter 6, verse 7. Go back to John 6, 7. Jesus asked Philip what? Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? What did, G, what did Philip answer? Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient. Jesus said, where? Philip said, not sufficient. Right? Why, now, what's, why did he ask him where and not how much? See, Philip answered the wrong question. We've seen that again and again. He, Jesus asked one thing. People want to answer something else. We do the same thing in our own lives, right? We, we, we do the exact same thing. We realize the Lord is calling us to do something, right? And the real question is, where do you want me to go, Lord? But instead, we offer up all the reasons why we can't, right? It's human nature. All right. So what does Philip say? 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little Philip answered, Jesus didn't ask. Jesus asked the question. I already had that up. Jesus answered what? Where? Philip answered, not sufficient. That's a problem. That shows that he just wasn't really trusting and relying on who Jesus is. Now, what would it have been for Philip to have passed the test? What should he have said in order that would show that he did pass the test? That's real simple. Lord, with man, it's impossible. But with you, all things, that was what Philip should have said to the Lord. That was where you go to buy the food. By the way, that's where you go to, to have eternal life, the bread of life. Okay? It's the same question. It's the same answer. Where? Who? All right. With you, all things are possible. You know, there was a time Moses was in the wilderness. Moses, you know, uh, fits in a lot of places. I hope you already noticed that Moses showed up in chapter one when it said the, the law came through Moses, a great Jesus Christ. And in every case, the, what's happening is that Moses in the Old Testament and then in comparison to Jesus now on the scene. And it's always Moses in a limited way, Jesus in an unlimited way. And so we go back to Moses again. And there was a time when Moses was in the wilderness again. There was 600,000 people. All right. 600,000 people. I mean, I'm laughing. Because, you know, so Moses knew it was impossible for him. So what did he do? Please turn to Numbers. Chapter 11, verse 13. We'll be back in John. Please turn to chapter 11. Philip 
where are we to buy we're to give them to all the give it to all these people. Same question, only this time Moses asks it. For they will weep before me, saying, and give us meat that we may eat. And notice he understood something that Philip didn't. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. So if you're going to deal thus with me, Lord, notice that. Please kill me at once. <laughs> just, just get it over with, right? If I have found, notice, he's saying, kill me if I found favor in your sight. And do not let me see my wretchedness. See that? So he, he understood, at least he understood that he was not sufficient, but that, that the Lord would have to come through for him. And he does. Look at Numbers chapter 11, verse 20, just a few verses down. Moses' power was limited. But notice chapter chapter 11, verse 20 of Numbers 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. And that is a passage that we should have in our heart, right? We'll come to this. We'll come to places and we'll, oh, look how wretched I am. I can't do anything. I won't be able to carry this burden. It's too much for me. I don't know if you, I don't know if I'll end up, yes. Oh, number, oh, it doesn't. Maybe I gave you the wrong verse. Maybe I gave you the wrong chapter. Maybe I gave you the wrong book. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, 23. Ah, sorry about that. Yeah. 23. Not a mistake. My power is limited. <laughs> Great catch. Thank you, Mark. 23. Yeah, right, 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 right. Oh, that's right. I was just playing with you all. See? She knows. Yeah, see, the emperor had no clothes, but nobody wanted to tell me except Mark. <laughs> yeah, verse 23. So, so Moses... Just kill me. I can't do this. Too burdensome. I don't want to see my wretchedness. The Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come through for you or not. You see, see, the Lord has given his word to us as well. All right. But notice it's still an, an issue of faith. I've said it. Do you believe? Do you trust me? Now you will see whether my word will come true for you or not. This is a great statement of grace saying, I know you have trouble. I know you doubt. I know you have little faith. So I'm going to come through for you. But you have to trust my word, right? In order, Not in order to, but for the time being, you just have to trust and rely on me. I will come through for you. Okay. Now, of course, at this point, and probably it was true of the other, other disciples, they were probably, you know, picking on Philip right now. And I suppose we could too. However, we have Andrew waiting in the wings. And he didn't do any better. Look at verse 8. John, Go back to John chapter 6, verse 8. 
John 6, 8. One of his disciples, Andrew. See, he comes on the scene and he's going to try to show up Philip. Right? One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Too bad he didn't stop there. You know, well, what was he saying? Hey, look, I did my best, right? But he didn't stop there. What are these for so many people? Not sufficient. He's saying the same thing. With another apostle whining about having insufficient resources. By the way, this is the same Andrew who said, told his, we have the Messiah. That was back in chapter one, too. Now, when 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 uh, Andrew was one of the two that would first go and walk with Jesus, he sought out his brother Peter and he said to Peter, we found the Messiah. But when it came time now, remember, the Messiah will we'll just see this briefly, but the Messiah was known from the Old Testament prophets to be able to perform miracles. So it's thought. So if he really he took it to heart, trusted the Messiah, trust him, A, that Jesus was the Messiah, and B, that what the Old Testament said about the Messiah was true, he would have just said, you know what, with us it's impossible. But you can do all things. right? But no, he had to talk about insufficient resources instead. All right. Let's go to our last four verses of John. We are there already, and we'll read through this. Notice that I've spent most of the time on the meaning and the messages, because that's really what the application is, and I know this is a very familiar story to, to many, many people, to most Christians. All right, John 6, 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. By the way, you notice that in verse 10, Jesus didn't even acknowledge the wrong answers. He didn't talk back to him. He didn't say, this is why you're wrong. What did he do? He took charge of the situation. He says, watch, I'll show you now, right? So he, so he said, have the people sit down. He's just giving them simple commands now. Now, there was much grass in the place. It, by the way, it was springtime. Passover's in the spring. It wasn't be, by the hot summer. This place would all be brown, but now it's green. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks to his father, he distributed to those who were seated. By the way, the other Gospels tell us that actually he had the disciples distribute it. And that's that's important to know because, again, he's teaching them. He's saying, listen, you couldn't trust me, but I'm going to enter you into this activity so that by means of part B, you're the one actually saying, wow, look at this. It was just five barley loaves. Now I'm giving them to 100 people. Right. And at the end, it's going to be the disciples going to go back out with the baskets and collect 12 baskets full from five barley loaves. So he's saying, you're going to learn this one way or the other. All right. All right. So, again, verse 11 now. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish. And notice the last five words. As much as they wanted. That's how Jesus gives. That's what happens when he comes through with his miraculous power. It goes above and beyond. I hasn't seen Ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 12. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So that they get so they gathered up the fragments and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. 
By the way, the 5,000 um, was only the men. We learned that from Matthew. Matthew tells us that the 5,000 was just the men. The, the women and the children weren't in that number. So it was really more like 20,000 miles to feed. 20,000. Anyway. So again, Jesus was issuing commands now. He's done trying to get them to see the trust thing. He's going to show them the trust thing. And notice the people ate as much as they wanted. That should have been something that the disciples saw right away and connected with the Messiah. Because the Messiah is going to come and is going to bless Israel when he comes back with as much and more than they wanted. A lush banquet on the mountainside. And you see, at here as then... The, the, the provision that Jesus has is more than abundant. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's our Lord. That's our Lord. He doesn't just want to, you know, satisfy the minimum. He wants to do it in an abundant way. The finest wine. Everyone has enough to eat and so forth. And just like the Messiah in the kingdom. And as we close today, I just want you to look at one more passage. And that's Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 12. This is he that the Moses and the prophets spoke about. Here's one of the prophets. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 12. Jeremiah 31, 12. Evidence of the miraculous overflowing provision of the Lord with the 5,000 was what? How many baskets of leftover fragments? Twelve. How many tribes are there in Israel? Twelve. How many apostles are there? Anybody think that's an accident? No. No. All right. Jeremiah 31, 12. They will come and shout for joy on the height of Zion. And they will be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the grain and the new wine and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. And their life will be like a watered garden, and they will never languish again. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for once again answering in a magnificent, amazing answer of who is Jesus. He's your son. He's the Messiah. We ask now, Father, that we would not be also of little faith, that we would not doubt, but instead to be built up by all of this amazing evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. And that be the basis for us trusting in his word going forward. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right. Somewhere is my announcements. The usual announcements, right? But Bible study this Thursday right here. All right. At Camp Consulting. It'll be on Skype as well. So people... By the way, I shouldn't even tell you anymore it's on Skype. I, I should say, uh, no more Skype. You have to be here. Because I like seeing your faces. And Thursday evening is the is the participation, you know, where we get to talk to each other and everything. Anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, so, uh, yeah. So, so, so you think that, um, that me uh, having the wrong uh, speaker on was an accident. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> no, it was an accident. <laughs> Those of you who are on Thursday, know what I'm talking about. All right, so we'll have a weekly prayer meeting at the end. Um, the way that, that remember the way that unbelievers have the opportunity to eat of the bread of life 
is for the gospel to be preached to them and they believe. So as we leave today, let's remind ourselves the simplicity of the message of the gospel is that everyone is born a sinner. God sent his son Jesus to die for all the sins of the world on the cross, and he did. And he was buried. And on that third day, he was raised from the dead by his father. So that whoever simply believes in him, justification by faith alone, not of works, lest any man should boast. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You will have eternal life. This is what we tell the people. You have eternal life and you will be declared righteous, which is, what's that? Okay, yeah. So so that you'll be declared righteous by the way you need to be declared righteous because there's also a judgment. And if you're not declared righteous, then you will fail the biggest test of all, the judgment. We have to tell them that, all right? We would be remiss if we didn't tell them that, right? Motivation, right? Understanding the truth, all right? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for all your bountiful provision for us. We ask now, Father, that we would trust in that and that that would enable us to deal bountifully with others. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, you're all dismissed. Thank you for paying attention. And we'll hopefully see you all on Thursday at 630. And I'm looking at everybody there. Nobody here can say you don't know how to get here. But here you are. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, recording, yeah. Can we do it? You can hit Bob. Oh, yeah.